scripture today comes from 1 Chronicles 29. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to be skipping over some verses here or there. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God is, has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the place will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God. So far as I am able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze, the iron, the wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. Who then will offer willingly, consecrate himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the Father's houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and of officers over the king's work. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, For with their whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Here ends the reading of God's word. Last week we talked about the tabernacle. Which was the the structure set up for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. So that God would have a place among them. And we wrestled with the idea of what it must have been like for the Israelites coming out of slavery, to then try to trust God to lead them. After all, where was God when we were in slavery? And they had such a mentality of empire, such a mentality of slavery, that it took a long time for them to learn to trust God again. As one scholar put it, it took 40 days for God to get the Israelites out of Egypt but 40 years for him to get Egypt out of Israel. And so how does God do that? One way we said last week was that God connects them back with the story, with their history, with who they are and who they have been called to be. But the other way is through the religious system. We recalled last week that Israel was not a people. They were not a religion. They were not a nation even. They were this great big family that had fled to Egypt and had grown there. And so God starts to set up this area called the tabernacle that would lead them and and be set up wherever they were in the midst so they would remember that God was in their midst. And the tabernacle was set up very much like our sanctuary today. There's kind of an open area where people would come for sacrifices and to be part of services There would be a tent that was the holy area. And we noticed that there's this weird step right here uh, in our own sanctuary. And it represents the setting between the holy area and the holy of holies. In the holy area, there would have been a couple of tables. uh, One with bread representing the tribes of Israel. The other would have been for offering incense to the Lord. There was a big candelabra, which is one of the reasons why I moved it from over here to over there, because that's where it would have been. And then a large curtain would have separated these two areas, and and in the, the main area would be this thing, the Ark of the Covenant, called the throne of God, or the footstool of the throne of God. Also sometimes called the Ark of Testimony, 
Because it was the statement that God is with his people and among his people. The ark led the Israelites wherever they went. It even went into battle with them once sometimes. Um, it was considered a holy thing. Wooden box. Uh, not much bigger than this. Actually only about six inches in dimension in any direction. Uh, more than what this is. I was basing it on the boxes that I had. But we're pretty close in terms of dimensions here. Um, with two cherubim, two angels on the top with their wings outstretched. We're not exactly sure what it looked like. If you've watched Indiana Jones, it's more elaborate. Some of the older models are much more simple, a little bit more like what we have set up here today. The Ark of the Covenant, when they go into Israel, stays with them. They continue to use it. Uh, if you remember, they use it when they walk around Jericho. And even as they walk through the Jordan River, parts the Jordan River, so they walk on dry land. One of the things we didn't talk about last week was that the Ark of the Covenant was not to be touched. They had these, gold, these wooden poles that then were covered in gold that were used to lift the Ark. But you were never, ever, ever to touch the Ark itself. In fact, there's a story in the Bible of someone who tried to stabilize the Ark and died. Representing God's holiness, His set-apartness. But now imagine that Israel finally gets into the land of Israel. So they have a land. They have their own people. Then there's this awkward time of the judges where there's not really a set place for the ark. It moves around. They keep the tabernacle for some time. They set up smaller temples in the area. This is even stolen once by the Philistines. Philistines steal it. And then wherever it goes, there tends to be an outbreak of some kind of sickness where a lot of people die. And so eventually the Philistines, who stole this great symbol of God's leadership among Israel, eventually give it back because they don't want anything to do with it. But ultimately in Israel, as soon as they get in the land, it's like God doesn't have a place anymore. God's leadership is sort of missing. There's this emptiness, this void. And so David sets out. As the second king in Israel, remember Saul was the king before him, to say, no, God needs a place. And so David builds this city called Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not much of anything before David gets there. It's kind of up on a hill. There's not much water there. David has to build, build all kinds of things to make sure water can get there and stay there. And yet God says to David that he does not get to build the temple. David at one time in 1 Chronicles 22 says to his son Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you that a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from his surrounding enemies, for his name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. See, David, because he is such a bloody king, so many wars dealing with the Philistines. God says, no, 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 you're not going to build my temple. Your son Solomon is. 
But notice what David did in the text that I read from 1 Chronicles 29. David was very serious about God needing a place, and so he started the work. He laid the groundwork. He established Jerusalem. He did major collections out of the people. He brought a lot of his own riches as king to set forth the ability for his son Solomon to build this temple. And so Solomon finally gets to build the temple, and he builds a wonderful temple, probably nothing like it in, in the rest of the world at that time. Uh, it's, it's still fairly small, and it's modeled really after the tabernacle. Same as our church. There is a courtyard where other people can go, sort of fenced off from that, uh, representing by this short wall we have in the back here, is where the community could come in. And they had a holy area and a holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant went. It was a great symbol of victory, the center of the world in the, in the Jewish mind. Place of communication where God is there in the midst. A symbol of community, a symbol of God's justice and peace. But the temple also very quickly starts to have some issues. One is it becomes a place not only where God is, but where a lot of people cannot go. So while the tabernacle was a symbol of God being in the midst of the people, the temple becomes a place where only the righteous people can go. If you're a Gentile, if you're not Jewish, you can't get in. Eventually there'll be a court for women and a court for men so that men can get closer to God than women can. And if you're dirty, if you're unclean, you don't dare soil God's place, God's home. It becomes a place of separation from God, of limiting who has access to God. It also becomes a place mixed in with idols. Solomon uh, is a great king, but he just doesn't quite have the heart of his father. In fact, he has a heart really for a lot of different women, in fact. And so he marries a lot of different women, uh, and a lot of them are not Jewish. A lot of them are done in treaty to make peace with other kingdoms. And so the temple also becomes a place where worship is mixed over time. Not so much in Solomon's time. He introduces sort of other temples and other high places. But his children and his children's children will eventually defile the temple with idols. In fact, some scholars have suggested that maybe the temple itself becomes an idol. Maybe that's one of the reasons why after Solomon builds the temple, we hear almost nothing about the Ark of the Covenant. It's totally lost. Nobody has any idea what happened to it. That's why they can make a movie where Indiana Jones tries to find it because it's gone. Nobody has a clue where the thing is. But maybe it became an idol. Certainly the temple seemed to be that way. And the other challenge, I think, with the Solomon's temple was that God was suddenly limited in his place. Listen to what Solomon says in 1 Kings 8. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would, dwell in, uh, he would dwell in thick darkness. I indeed build you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. There's almost a sense of once God has a house, he stays there. Like God is not among us, with us. He's like a good neighbor that you just kind of leave alone until you need to borrow something from, that God is sort of positioned to stay here. And, and the challenge for us today is that the church can still run into these challenges. 
The church can still be a place of limited access to God, where people have to get good enough to be in here. The church can still become itself an idol, or be filled with all kinds of things that become so important to us, they're more important than God. And we can also feel when we come to church, like that's God's place. And I can go on from here and have the rest of the Sunday to do whatever I want. Because I went over to God's house and now I'm going back to my house. That's not the understanding. In fact, when Jesus dies on the cross, there's this really weird line where the temple curtain was torn. Do you remember this line? And it was the curtain that was right here. The moment Jesus dies, Gospel of John records that this giant curtain is ripped in half which would have freaked all the priests out because they weren't supposed to go in there but once a year. How do you fix the curtain when you're not allowed into the room? Jesus, though, opens that up, right? There's full access to God. Jesus is the new temple. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say that you and I are the temple now, that God dwells with us. And so there's this real sense that we as a church need to remember who we are, need to remember whose we are. And I think like David, we need to think about paying that forward to the next generations as well. And that, I think, is why we're doing some of this capital campaign. Not just so we save our building, we're much more than a building. But we want to do these things because we want our church to be valuable and important And we want it to be passed on to future generations. That's why we're doing the things that we do. And it's my prayer that as we give and as we think about this, we, like David and the rest of the Israelites, would give with joy and excitement. Not as a burden, but excited about what God's going to do in this church in the next 50 years and beyond. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your work in your church, your work in this church, that we get to extend this idea of the temple to our day and to our lives. Bless us, we pray, in our endeavors, that you would be glorified. Let it not be an idol for us, but let it be a way for us to show your presence, your light, your salt in this world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.